0: Welcome to a new podcast series by Asia-Pacific Forum on Women Law and Development or APWLD. This podcast will focus on issues of migration and migrant women's human rights in Asia and the Pacific. In this podcast series, APWLD's Migration Feminist Participatory Action Research, or FPAR partners, will share a personal reflection of their two year journey conducting these FPARs with their communities. This is Vanita, and in episode 5, we will be speaking with Azura. Azura, thank you for joining us on this podcast. Can you please introduce yourself?
1: Hi, Vanita. Thank you for calling me today. So, I'm Azura Mm Nasroun and I'm from Tenaganita, Malaysia.
0: Azura, first of all, please tell us about the community you work with and what are their issues.
1: So, I think it's been two years, a great two years working with the communities from Malaysia, focusing on domestic workers. So, I think first of all, I would uh, like to tell why are we focusing on domestic workers. So, in Malaysia, in the Employment Act of 1955 domestic workers are referred as domestic servants. So, the danger in referring them to uh, as servants in Malaysia is that they are excluded from many privileges uh, experienced by other workers, such as minimum wages, working hours, day off, and others. So, in Tenaga itself, we handle cases and note that in 2020, Uh, we received 350 cases, which 70% of them are domestic workers' cases. And this happens every year, right? So I think when we see this every year, we think to ourselves that until when we have to settle the cases, right? Until when we must always help individual cases. So we think that there must be a change of the system itself to actually help all the domestic workers in Malaysia, Because most of the cases that we receive, these workers did not just experience one form of violation, but they experienced multiple of it and at least six forms of abuse, right? So that is why we are fighting for a separate legislation for domestic workers.
0: Can you tell us about the challenges faced by these workers?
1: In these two years, we managed to meet 80 to 100 uh, migrant workers. And most of these migrant workers have worked as domestic workers before. But because to meet domestic workers, it's not that easy because domestic workers are working in homes and it's impossible for them to get day off. And even if they get day off, it's impossible to actually meet them on day off because that's the only day off that they have in the week, right? So that is the only moment that they want to go to meet their friends or to meet to call their families outside or to buy some food to bring to their family, to send them to Indonesia or something like that. So what we did is that we went to see these migrant workers that work as domestic workers before. And some of them are also domestic workers, but they are church-based group organizations. So when we meet them, usually, I I wouldn't say privileged, but I would say that they are on the safe side because they got day off, They can go out, they can meet their friends, they got their phones that they can call anyone. So usually these groups of people, they are in the safe side. But of course, before this, they had experienced multiple abuse before they got into their safe side job, right? So I think this is where I can see the cases that happening when I hear to their experience. And if they don't experience it themselves, they have friends that experience this.
0: If I talk about FPAR, how this FPAR journey has been for you? Mm, I think, uh, of course, as I say, it's a great journey and especially working
1: in grassroots levels community. I think it's not an easy thing, especially when I'm not part of the community itself. I think looking at our FPAR members, they are from the same community and I think if you're from the same community, you can actually talk to them more, you know, something that, that's close to them. But in Malaysia, I'm not from the community and I'm trying to be somebody that doesn't impose my ideas to them and to force them to fight for anything. So when I go there, I must always lower down all my my thoughts to actually listen to what they really want and what they really face every day. And I think the connections made, it's not that easy because you know, you have to take their trust and so that they don't just believe that you're just some kind of NGO that just come for programs and just go like that. yeah. But I think overall, it's very great um, because I'm a Muslim and most of them are Christians and they're from church-based organizations, but they actually open me very well and they even invite me to their church because most of these church-based organizations, they have a room at the church itself. So the church provides them group and they actually ask me to come and you know they treat me very well, they talk to me and they give me space to actually know them. And I think this is very great. And I don't I don't think that we can get this opportunity always if we don't go to grassroots levels like this.
0: The pandemic has been a difficult period for the entire world. So what were the challenges faced by you and your community during this period?
1: First thing first it's obviously that when the COVID-19 arises, all church are closed, right? Mm. And all workers, and it's very impossible to even meet them. I can't even meet them anymore. And it's almost a year before this that the church are closed the whole year. And they don't even get a day off. So it's very impossible to get out and see them. And uh, when I called them individually, they told me that, they are at risk because they have to take care of people at risk at homes. You see, if obviously, if one of the family members got COVID, they are the one who has to take care of them. So they are at risk of this. And then uh, their household responsibility increased a lot because they have to do everything when their employees are working Employers are working at home, right? They work from home all the time. So they have to take care of them all the time. So they don't have time to actually connect to us or connect their families to their friends. And they have a very limited healthcare access because most of the employer was like, if you are sick, you just have to stay in your room. They won't like find you proper medications and things like that. So I think it's very hard to actually connect with them or do anything with them, all I can do is take data from them for what's happening right there. And some of them even uh, told us about wage reductions when the employers uh, itself lose their job or something and then they can't pay their domestic workers but they also don't want to like you know, let them free or something. Yeah, I think this is kind of the challenge in the pandemic because domestic workers already have so many risks working as domestic domestic workers.
0: But in the pandemic itself, they are like double risk. What is the biggest impact you or your community achieved during this F bar? I hope they feel happy the way I
1: feel happy connecting to that to them because I think with the capacity building that we had, the all the knowledge tools and the resources, I think is very helpful, not just for me, but I believe it's for them too because I think when we collect all the data of what they want and what and what risks they are having, I think it's very good when we manage to map it. When we do the mapping of things that they should get and things they shouldn't. I think they actually learn their rights itself. I remember uh early of those FR when I start when we start about doing uh the capacity building, they start to connect things to us like, oh no wonder I, I didn't get this, or no wonder I didn't get that, or oh, how do I get this? And then they start to refer us to their friends.
0: I think um, we had a great opportunity to learn everything. Your RefPAR journey has ended, but how are you or your community looking to continue working on this issue? Okay,
1: um, as I said, I think the biggest thing that we should do is the, uh we should change the system itself, right? So the best thing to change the system is to have a separate legislation for the domestic workers. But I think so far, this thing is very hard to do it, especially when during the COVID-19, none of the politicians are focusing on domestic workers. Even if there's some cases or violations, it won't be that viral or that popular among Malaysians. And of course, during uh, this pandemic, migrant workers have been scapegoat for politicians, right? So every time there's Uh, corruption issues, politicians will use migrant workers to scapegoat and cover these corrupt issues. So all this while, for almost two years, none of the politicians are taking our statements out. I mean, like, we already have the separation bill legislation, but it's not that easy for us to um, ask them to bring forward this uh, bill itself. So I think um, the next big change that I hope is to push forward this bill and for the even for the domestic workers itself to push this bill. Um, but for now, it's not easy for them, as I said, because for all the scapegoat issues, I think most of uh, the colleagues, uh, I mean, most of the communities that I know, uh, they are still afraid to go out. And I understand why they are afraid, because anytime they are visa or their passport can be taken if they spoke up about their issues, right? So maybe, I was hoping in the next change we can actually have last year and we can actually push this
0: bill together forward. So what is the next big change you hope to achieve post-FPAR? Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? I think that is the big change, I think. some people were saying we can actually make
1: uh, amendments in the Employment Act, right? Because the Employment Act, we can actually just make amendments on that and just change the methods, domestic servants to domestic workers. But I think although if we change and make amendments, it's not enough to protect uh, the domestic workers. As I think it's very complex. Every cases are very complex. And every case is... It's not just about, you know, you don't get wages, you don't get day off. But how do you even count uh, working hours when you're working in home, when you're working for 24 hours? I think their type of working is very, very specific and very different from other workers that are working nine to five, which is very specific in the office, but they are working at homes. I think that is why we must have specific regulation for them. Uh, Of course, I think we should ratify ILO, a convention for them. Um, I think if we have ratified uh, some international rules, I think it's easier when there's something happening, you can actually push the government. Malaysia has ratified CEDAW. When there are cases, something happened, we can actually refer to them. Uh, we can push it easier. I think that is why we want to rectify the ILO convention. So yeah, I think in our next um, moving forward action is um we want to have uh we want to amend the Employment act uh, 1955. we want to ratify the ILO convention 189 and of course we want to have the specific bill uh, for domestic workers yeah.
0: thank you azura for sharing those insights with us all right thank you mm-hmm. APWLD is the leading network of feminist organizations and individual activists in Asia and the Pacific. Our 266 members represent groups of diverse women from 30 countries in the region. Over the past 34 years, APWLD has actively worked towards advancing women's human rights and development justice. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please feel free to write to us at APWLD at apwld.org. That is apwld at apwld.org. You can also follow and connect with us on our social media channels. Find us on Facebook at apwld.ngo, Twitter at apwld and Instagram at apwld underscore. Thank you once again. I'm Vanita and do stay tuned for our next episode.